0: So if you turn in your Bibles to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, as we're walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, Uh, last week, uh, we got to hear the very first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and we heard Jesus speak with absolute authority and such great urgency. He said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the Gospel. Powerful words. This was a message for everyone in Galilee, Jerusalem, the whole world. That is our message today. Repent and believe the gospel. And last week, we were compelled within that message to respond, in order to believe him now. That his urgent message requires our immediate response. And then along with that urgent message, the next thing that we saw Jesus doing was was calling his first disciples to himself. He he commanded Peter and Andrew to follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then we see in these ordinary, hardworking men, leaving all that they've known and following Jesus Christ to become fishers of men. These were just ordinary men, and so we as ordinary people as well, are also called and commanded to be fishers of men, right? on the mission in, in Christ's footsteps. And so last week we learned that we needed to respond by, by going with him now. His urgent call, call <coughs> sorry. His urgent call commands our primary occupation. A little frog on my throat here. And so as I said last week, I challenged some of you guys. When you meet somebody new and they ask you what you do, how are you supposed to respond? Your primary occupation is what? To be fishers of men, right? That's your primary occupation before your job and before everything else. That would be a conversation starter, right? And then we've seen Jesus call two more disciples last week, James and John, and they left their father and they left all that they knew and they left their obligations And so then we learned further that we need to prioritize him now, that his urgent charge demands our utmost devotion. And that was last week, that was the urgency of the follow me. And so as we turn now and we follow Jesus again on on the road behind him in this gospel of Mark, and we see on top of this urgent message, on top of this urgent call, today we're going to see more urgency. Remember Mark's favorite word is immediately. You see that so many times in his gospel. We're going to see some urgent authority on radical display here. We're going to witness Jesus's urgent authority. And he's going to show us this, this in three ways today. As, as we observe the onlookers who are witnessing this firsthand, as we witness how they react, then we also need to react as well. We ought to be astonished, amazed, and astounded at Jesus' urgent authority. So let's start in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Lord, we, uh, we come before you as your people, as those who you have set your eyes upon, those who you have set your heart upon and sent, sent your Son to save And we rejoice in that this morning. We rejoice in in, in the reality that in Christ Jesus, we have full and lasting forgiveness. And we have full and everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you as we open your word before us today that you would be speaking. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be illuminating the words before us. We know that these things are spiritually discerned. And so we pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to receive the good news that you have for us and that you would continue to transform us into the image of your Son. We pray this in his name, King Jesus. Amen. All right, so like I said, we're going to be looking at how these people react. And then we're going to be applying that to ourselves as well. And so the first point for you this morning... Is that we need to be astonished. We need to be astonished at the authority of his teaching. Verse 21 And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Be astonished at the authority of his teaching. And so we begin this verse, walking with Jesus again. We we join him on the beginnings of his ministry here in Galilee. But something has changed since last week. Jesus is not alone anymore. He has his first four disciples in tow. We have Peter. Remember, Peter is, is the, the primary influence on the gospel of Mark. Mark would have wrote what Peter told him. First, we see Peter, and we see Andrew. We see James, and we see John. These ordinary fishermen who have left their boats, left their nets, left their families to become fishers of men. These men will be one of the four of the twelve apostles to come. The foundation of the New Testament church. And so we see here in verse 21, it says that these men are on mission, heading to the town of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a pretty prominent fishing village at that time. This is on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, um, It was a fishing village. Uh, There was very fertile land all around. It had a Roman military post, which means it was quite significant. It was a town at that time of about 10,000 people. And it was also likely the home of Peter and Andrew and James and John. And we'll also learn later that this is also the home of Matthew, the tax collector. Basically, Capernaum becomes Jesus' headquarters. This is his base of operations for his ministry in Galilee. You're going to see this village, this town, come up over and over again. I have some pictures here, and I want to just show you a little bit of Capernaum. Um, the first thing I want you to see here is, is, uh, is that that's a synagogue right there. So we see Jesus and his four men coming into Capernaum on the Sabbath, as, as all good Jews do, they, and they would go to the synagogue, which means meeting place, gathering place. Now, if you look at the, the pictures here, you can see that that is the actual synagogue where, uh, where all of this story is taking place today. Uh, in fact, what you're seeing is actually a 4th century renovation of the 1st century synagogue. So the 1st century synagogue, the foundation is still there. And then in the 4th century, they built the kind of the white stuff that you see there as well. But it would, have been a, it would have been a replica of what was there to come. And so as you're looking at that, just realize that this is a real place. This is not Middle Earth. This is not Narnia, right? When we read in the Bible, um, archaeology always attests to what is written in Scripture. It never speaks differently. And so as we look at that, that just helps you to understand this was a real place. And you can actually go there today and see it for yourself. I'd love to go there as well. And so on this Sabbath day, we see that they immediately enter a synagogue, the synagogue of Capernaum. Now, Jesus doesn't sit like the rest of the men uh, during the regular reading of the scrolls. No, it shows us here that Jesus was teaching. He was teaching. Now, Mark doesn't really focus here on the content of what Jesus was teaching that day. At most, we can say that he was, he was most likely opening an Old Testament scroll, and his message would have been aligned with what we already heard, this proclamation that the kingdom of God is at hand, and it's time to repent and believe. But we don't know for sure what Jesus was teaching, and Mark doesn't record that for us, which means today it's not our main focus. What Jesus was teaching was not our main focus what our main focus here this morning in this first section was the reaction of those in the synagogue to his teaching. That's what Mark focuses on. It says in verse 22 that they were astonished. Astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. You see these, these Jews in, in Capernaum, these farmers, these fishermen, the craftsmen, Uh, They were used to the tradition of of traveling scribes coming through their their town and and getting in the synagogue on on the Sabbath and teaching from the scrolls. This goes all the way back to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, The role of a scribe or a rabbi was to explain and teach God's word from the scriptures. But at this time, things have changed a little bit. Uh, These Scribes and rabbis, uh, they were known more for regurgitating what somebody else had said or reciting sayings from other other Hebrew rabbis, well-known rabbis, more than the Word of God. Uh, Their messages would often be kind of muddy, allegorical, mystical, legalistic, second-hand knowledge. They really had no ownership, no authority over what they were teaching. They derived their authority from the traditions, from the elders, the fathers of Judaism, rather than the word of God. But then we see Jesus here. We witness him standing, teaching, and it astonished them. Why did it astonish them? Because he taught as one with authority. Not like the scribes. They were so utterly amazed. This, this word for amazed here, astonished, in the original sense, is, is being on the brink of losing your mental capacity, your mental composure. That's how amazed they were. It was absolutely shocking. And why was it shocking? It's because he spoke with absolute authority. It was mind-blowing. It was awe-inspiring. It was astonishing to the onlookers. Now, I heard you laughing already, so that means the next slide is up. (laughs) All right, so as a kid, I watched a lot of reruns, probably way too many. And, And one of my favorite shows was the Andy Griffith Show. Awesome show from the 1950s. I'd recommend you go watch it. But you'll remember in that show that Andy, Andy Griffith, he was the cool, calm, collective sheriff of Mayberry, right? Everybody respected him. But he also had this sidekick named Barney Fife, right, played by Don Knotts on the left there. He was a weak, puny, bumbling deputy. Barney Fife loved the idea of being a cop. He loved his uniform. He loved his badge. It said deputy on his little star there. He was proud about that. And he was proud of his handgun, even though Andy would only let him put one bullet in there. But the ongoing problem with this television show in the town of Mayberry is that nobody listened to Barney Fife. Nobody respected him, no matter how threatening he was. Barney Fife just wasn't believable. He had no real authority. He was just a deputy. But then when you would see Sheriff Andy come on scene in whatever kind of issue that was going on with his calm and cool and collective authority and his sheriff's badge the town would listen the people would follow they would obey the words of andy because he was the law in that town and so similar with these teachers in synagogue they often spoke like barney fife weak foggy second hand wisdom severely lacking in any kind of authority but when jesus spoke the lord of the universe spoke he taught with complete authority, boldness, assurance. Not like the scribes. Jesus, God Himself, is the law. He is the Word, and he was capturing his audience with complete reverence for who he was. They would have, they would have been so astonished. There probably would have just been silence as he taught with everlasting authority. Astonished, listening to every word that came out of his lips. And so then let's let's ask ourselves this morning, how are we then to respond to the teaching of Jesus? As those people were astonished, are we astonished today? How are we to respond to, to God's authoritative word Well, I think we need to start by confessing that we're not as astonished as we should be. We're not as amazed as we should be at God's Word. And our answer is to start digging into it and start to be renewed and afreshed by God's Word, being floored by what the Lord has shown us through what He has written, to be shocked again by His authority, We need to recapture a portion of of that original audience, that original awe, as Jesus spoke with authority. Friends, wouldn't we just love, wouldn't we just love if Jesus would walk through our doors, push me aside, and stand up here and teach with authority? How would we respond to that? We would be in awe. We would be astonished. But he's not going to do that. He's not going to walk through our doors. He came to earth once. He's coming back to take us home next time. It's our job as His people to open His Word and for preachers also to be preaching His Word. And we should be astonished by His Word. You know, we actually don't need Jesus to come here physically in order for us to be astonished. We have everything we need in God's Word. Remember, as Jesus rose from the grave, and then he ascended to heaven, he left us everything that we need. He gave us his Holy Spirit to indwell us, and he gave us his Holy Word. It's the most awe-inspiring, astonishing book of all history. So to be in awe of Jesus today is to be abiding in his authoritative Word He left us this perfect, sufficient word, 2 Peter 1.19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until when? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And so... To be astonished, as these people were astonished, is to settle for nothing less than God's word in its full authority. Being astonished by him in his word. And it teaches us. It is our authority. Wayne Grudem says, the authority of scripture means that all the words in scripture are God's words. In such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Jesus is the Word of God, and He has been perfectly revealed to us through His Word. If we want to be in awe of Him, look at His Word. Be astonished by the authority of His teaching. Invite Christ's authoritative words to change you, to work in and through your life. And as Jesus spoke with such authority in this synagogue, And as much as these people were amazed, verse 23 to 24 reveals that his authoritative word not only affected the people, it also affected the spiritual realm. Verse 23, and immediately, we see that word again, this urgency, immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Friends, we need to be astounded by the authority of his justice. We need to be astounded by the authority of Jesus' justice. Mark shows us here that This reaction to Jesus' teaching immediately exposed the realm of darkness within a man at the synagogue. We see that there was a man that that had an unclean spirit in him in the synagogue, and Jesus' message would have been centered on this kingdom of God being at hand, and so what we're seeing is is these two kingdoms colliding, right? Right? The kingdom of evil knows that its days are numbered when the kingdom of God is proclaimed. We see this evil spirit, this demon that was tormenting and possessing this unknown man. And he cries out through that man. He had so much control over him. He cries out through him, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. This man was possessed by a demon, by a fallen angel. Now, through my studies this week, I had to blow off the dust on some of my demonology 101 and, uh, and, and look back on, on how the whole thing works, spiritual realm. But it's a real thing. It is a real thing. I did a quick survey of demon possession throughout the Bible, and uh, one of the fascinating discoveries is that Jesus' ministry revealed the most accounts of possession and exorcism happening. That's where most of the activity of of anybody being possessed and anybody being exorcised from Satan took place. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, you actually really don't see a lot of it. You don't. Uh, We look back at Genesis 6, there's an instance there of, of some demon possession going on. We also know that Saul himself, remember he was being tormented by an evil spirit. But that's pretty much it for the Old Testament. And then as you fast forward to the book of Acts after the Gospels, you actually only see two instances of people being possessed by demons. But in the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, we see the majority of all of the Bible's references of demon possession and exorcism. The kingdom of God being proclaimed by Jesus Christ was confronting the kingdom of darkness, and they couldn't take it. They knew that he was coming. He, He was confronting their realm. They knew it. They knew him. How did they know who Jesus was? Well, remember, they were fallen angels. And Jesus, being a part of the Trinity, for eternity, they would have known Jesus for sure. They would have known this eternal Son of God. That's why this demon cries out through this man, What have you do, to, what have you do Sorry, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us?" I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He knows that he is God. He's afraid. Just imagine being there. Just imagine being there and hearing this desperate cry of fear and proclamation to hear this evil, this supernatural voice coming outside of a man, identifying Jesus as both man but identifying him as God. You can just see and you can hear the fear. Has our time come? What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? And you see him using the word us, basically speaking for the entire spiritual realm. Is it time for all of us to be destroyed? Is our day of judgment here What's so interesting to think about here is is that this demon-possessed man, now thinking about the man, uh, he would have been a regular attendee of the synagogue. He would have sat before under the rabbis that were coming, under that limp, religious, legalistic teaching, and the demon would have been satisfied with that. He would have been just really okay with what was going on there. There was no authority. There was no power. But it wasn't until the arrival of Jesus in his full authority that he was disturbed. Jesus' words and his authority were powerful. His words produced such extreme fear in that demon who was once dormant, who was once happy in this man coming to the synagogue. But Jesus' power removed the hold of that demon on this man as we're going to see He couldn't take it any longer. You see, friends, Jesus Jesus is not only coming back to judge the living and the dead. He's also coming back to judge Satan and all the evil spiritual realm. Revelation chapter 20 reveals that in the end, Jesus is going to have his full justice over the satanic realm. Matthew 25, 41. I'll just read this before we go to Revelation tells us that there is an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then Revelation chapter 20, verse 7 to 10, and when the thousand years are ended, this is apocalyptic, this is in the future, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Jesus will have his justice. Jesus has the final word. His life, his death, his resurrection, defeated sin and death, and defeated Satan, and is yet to be consummated in the future. And so the demons know this. They know who he is. They know what he's all about, that he has come to defeat Satan. Just like in the desert, we just witnessed Jesus in the wilderness, and Jesus being the victor in the wilderness, defeating Satan's temptations. They know that, that he is coming back to defeat once for all. Their days are numbered. James chapter 2 tells us that the demons believe and they shudder. They are so afraid. They know that their time is coming. And so this demon proclaims that Jesus is the Holy One of God in absolute fear. He is the holy, righteous judge. And so we need to be astounded at that authority of his justice that he is the judge. That there is a day of reckoning to come when all evil will finally be totally, completely destroyed forever. Can't wait for that day. This week I, uh, as I was working on this sermon, studying this text, I received a phone call. Just a phone call out of the blue, a lady in the city of Calgary who originates from Jamaica. She called me and she said that she's looking for a prophet, someone to pray for her, someone to deliver her from a demon. She says there's a demon tormenting her. She began talking about witchcraft and and all kinds of things and she believes that somebody put, uh, put a spell on her, a curse on her. She believes that there's a demonic snake living inside of her, causing her extreme physical ailments. She can't work anymore. She's being tormented day and night. Now let me just stop there and ask you, how would you deal with that? How are you going to deal with that if somebody came and told you that? Do you feel like you would know even what to do? I didn't know what to do, but I did. I did. Would you feel equipped to counsel her in that situation? This lady needed to hear the authoritative teaching of Jesus Christ. And so I began preaching to her on the phone, preaching to her, telling her and revealing the word and telling her that she's a sinner. She has sinned against a holy God. She has broken God's law. That her sin has separated her from the Lord forever unless she is to repent and believe in him. I told her that apart from receiving Jesus, she would not experience everlasting life and joy in Jesus Christ, and that what she's experiencing now is just a small taste of eternity. And she would listen, and she would agree, and I would share the good news that Jesus came came to live once for all, live a sinless life for her, the life that she couldn't live, die the death that we all deserved receiving the just wrath for us upon himself so that we could have life and forgiveness in him. That Jesus did that for her, to forgive her and to cleanse her from all unrighteousness. And I called her to repent of her sin and to trust in him. And that Jesus came not only to save her from her sin, but also to deliver her from this domain of darkness. And that she would be free from the grip of Satan that is upon her. I don't know where she's at. I don't know really what she really believes. She's, she's, she's in a different uh, flavor of, of our faith that is really consumed with this whole thing. And so her theology is, is really kind of messed up. But I shared the gospel with her. She continued to listen as I would preach to her. I, I told her that you don't need a special person to deliver you from this evil. There is one mediator between man and God, Jesus Christ. His authoritative teaching in the hands of the Holy Spirit will save you and cleanse you. And so I prayed with her. And then let the Lord do his work. And so if you can think about her this week, think about her, be praying for her. She needs to hear the everlasting news. She needs to get her eyes off and fixated upon these kinds of things and on to Jesus Christ She needs the Holy Spirit in her. Jesus has a day of reckoning. And by the testimony of this demon in this synagogue, we need to be astounded at the authority of his justice. That he is the final judge. That evil will be no more. We're going to see a small taste of that here in the next two verses. Verses 25 to 27. We need to be amazed at the authority of his power. Be amazed at the authority of his power here. Verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him. This demon is crying out. Jesus rebukes him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So, that they were questioning among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So, this is, is just a taste of what is to come for this demon. He was being cast out by the judge of the universe who would also one day cast him into the lake of fire. His authority is on full display over the spiritual realm here. No one else has such authority. If you look at some of the historical documents at that time, uh, you read some Josephus, you'll, you'll see that there was some, there was some legends and, of individuals, of people in, in, in Jewish society who, who were casting out demons, trying to cast out demons. We also see that in the book of Acts as well as other people uh, were trying to cast out demons besides the apostles. But none of these men have the power and the authority of Christ over evil. You see, Jesus didn't argue with this demon. There was no arguing going on. He simply commands the demon to come out, and he comes out. Jesus rebukes him, and then he commands him, and he gives him two commands. The first is, be silent and come out. Jesus doesn't need or want the testimony of this demon. It's unnecessary. And in fact, he's trying to conceal that at this moment. And then we see this command to come out. This unclean spirit convulses this man. This was a deep, abiding hold that was on this man, and it is being broken. And the separation of that demon from that man was violent. And he cries out with a loud voice. This, this word for crying out with a loud voice here comes from the, the Greek word anekrazo, which, which which means to shriek in agony, in pain, and in horror. Absolute fear. As he is forced to leave this man and obey the authority of his creator. And then we see him coming out of him. And this man is free from this hold. And the people are amazed. People are amazed. Everyone there was amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. This man is full of authority. Friends, Jesus' words combined with his justice and power produce astonishment and amazement. It does. And the reaction from these people reinforces the truth that Jesus is God, that he is who he says he is, that evil days are numbered. That he has come to set the captives free by his word and by his power. Friends, this casting out of this demon is, is a miracle which attests to the truthfulness of Jesus Christ and his message. When you, look at, when you look at the Gospels and you see Jesus healing people, exercising demons out of people, raising people from the dead, producing uh, food miraculously, All of this is meant to attest to who he is. I am God, there is no other. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The Messiah has finally come, and he has complete and total authoritative power. He is the creator. It is his. He is God himself. And they were amazed. They were amazed at this authority. And so let me ask you this this morning. Are you amazed... By his authority. Are you in awe of who he is? Are you captivated by the the supreme power and authority of God? Or do you reject his authority? Do you reject his authority over you? Friends, the original sin in the garden was a rejection of God's authority. This is natural to us. We have inherited this. We refuse his authority in our flesh. You see, we don't want to be answerable to somebody. We don't in our flesh want to be answerable to God, who has authority. He owns all the creation. He owns all the universe. He owns every person in this universe. You are his Are you rejecting his authority? Even as Christians, we can reject his authority, right? We're satisfied with our salvation, but yet we want to go our own way and do our own things. We want to chase temptation. We want to live in the world. And in ways as Christians, we can reject his authority. God's word would tell you otherwise. To believe, to be in awe of who he is, to obey Do we profess to be Christians for the sake of salvation but reject authority for the rest of our lives? Do you love the idea of Jesus as Savior but you loathe the reality of his lordship? Jesus is Lord. He is Savior and he is Lord. It's often said that that people everywhere love God except on his throne. If this is you, if this is you, you may not know him. You may not know Jesus Christ as Lord. To know Jesus as Lord is to know him as Savior as well. They cannot be separated. Jesus came to deliver us from the powers of darkness so that he could have all of you. So that he could have your whole life, so that he could receive glory through your life, so that he would be pleased by by you being changed by the word of God and by the Spirit, bringing glory to him. He wants all of you. He doesn't just save you, he also sanctifies you, which means to grow in holiness, to grow in his likeness. He wants to know you and he wants to grow you. That's what he does. So if you are his child that means that you are also his servant you are you also follow him under his authority your powerful god has delivered you from darkness sin and satan has lost their grip on you and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world first john 4 says you are free whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You are free from the bondage of sin. You are free from being slaves to your flesh. You are free from the domain of darkness. You have the Holy Spirit. You have His eternal power within you. You have His Holy Word. You have everything. Does that amaze you? Does that drop you to your knees? Does that get you up in the morning? this amazing privilege to be called a son or a daughter of the Most High, that you are safe forever in His hands, that this all-powerful and all-authoritative Savior never leaves you, He never forsakes you, He's always protecting you, that no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from His hand. Romans 8, 38-39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are his, you cannot escape his grip. And it's a loving, eternal, forgiving grip that never lets you go. That is your God, that is your Savior. Be astonished again. Be astounded again. Be amazed again at who he is. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know that this is where our help comes from. It comes from the Lord. This is where hope is found. This is where joy everlasting is found. This is where... uh, Relief from the burden of sin is found. This is, this is where the relief of temptation is found. It's by being amazed and astonished at who he is. This is where relief from the experience of sadness and despair is found. By being amazed at who he is. That in Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection is everything. That if you are a Christian, that you are safe forever in his grip. And that we need not fear. You know, we fear man. And we fear evil. But we have nothing to fear. So this should cause worship. This should cause worship to rise up from within us. And to be exalting Jesus Christ in spirit And truth all the days of our life in amazement, in astonishment, being astounded. And then we see in verse 28, how do we respond to this amazement, to this astoundment? Verse 28 says this, And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. His fame spread everywhere. Friends, the good news of Jesus Christ cannot be contained. It's going forth to the ends of the earth right now. From this very moment, we see in Scripture Him proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand, it's time to repent and believe. That message has blown up across the earth, and it's still going today to the outer edges. Of where he has not been heard, and to our city today here in Calgary. We need to be going with this word, being astonished to the point of sharing it. It cannot be contained. If it is truly good, if it is truly eternal and powerful, it cannot be contained. We cannot keep it to ourselves. We're called to go. It is too amazing. It is too astonishing. It is too astounding to keep under a basket. Don't hide the light and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a fisher of men. That is your primary occupation. Be astounded. Look at his authority, the urgency of his authority. Be amazed by it and be compelled to spread the fame of his name and then what we do is we stand back and we watch him at work you just be faithful to go the Lord will be faithful to do his work share the good news share the gospel there is a world around us that is being tormented by evil a world that is blinded by sin a world that is headed towards hell and you and I are called we have this precious amazing news Jesus will have his day. He will overcome. He is the judge. Satan is going to be thrown into the pit of hell, the lake of fire burning forever and ever, and his angels with him. Sin will be no more. There will be no more temptation, no more tears, no more crying, nothing but joy in the face of Jesus Christ for eternity. But until that day, spread his fame. Spread his fame. He is unfailing. Trust him. We will see the enemy run. We will see the victory come. Hold on to every promise that he has ever made. He is unfailing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again in this just small window into the beginning of your ministry on earth. We thank you, Lord, that you entered what was supposed to be a place of worship. And you entered that with full authority and power, and you taught with full authority. You are God. There is no other. And as you speak, the law speaks. The gospel speaks. Lord, we thank you that that we got to see this this little picture today of, of you at work. Even though we didn't hear your words, we see on the faces of the people that they were astonished. Lord, would you astonish us today? And what I mean by that is, would you help us by the power of your Spirit, by your indwelling Word as well? Would you help us to see you and be astonished by you yet again? Lord, we thank you for this. We pray that you would use this to compel us forward to be spreading the fame of your name. And we think of our neighbors who are bound by sin and those who are even bound by evil. We think of this lady this week that called, this lady that is being tormented. Lord, we ask for you to do the work that only you can do. Lord, we pray that the words that I have shared with her, the words, the authoritative words of Jesus Christ would explode in her heart that you would remove the heart of stone and give her a heart of flesh so that she could believe and that your Holy Spirit would come and reside within her and cleanse her from all unrighteousness, remove her from the domain of darkness and give her life and joy everlasting in Jesus Christ alone. We trust you with that. You are powerful. You have authority. We submit to you. We obey you. We love you in the power of the Spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.